0: Welcome to the Fat Fuel Family Podcast, where every week Danny and Mauda Vega discuss topics that help families live a healthy and active lifestyle with their little ones, including nutrition and training, peaceful parenting, education, and mindset. To stay up to date, make sure to hit subscribe on this podcast and check out the blog at www.fatfuel.family. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at dannyvega.ms, at fatfueledmom, and at fatfueledkids, and fatfueledfamily on YouTube. Enjoy the show!
1: Welcome to the Fat Field Family Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Vega, and today I'm doing another solo episode. I'm joined by my buddy, Jordan Joy, who is with me in the office right now. We're recording together. Uh, Jordan is a PhD, CSCS. He is also certified by ISSN, CISSN. He's the director of R&D at Muscle Sport and the CEO of Archetype Supplements. He got his PhD in nutrition from Texas Women's University, uh, his master's in applied sport nutrition from Northeastern University, and his bachelor's in exercise science from the University of Tampa, and a sixteen hundred thirty-five plus pound powerlifting total in the one ninety-eight pound class. Jordan's worked as a scientist and coach in both academia and the fitness industry since twenty eleven, publishing over a hundred scientific papers, formulating dozens of dietary supplements, and working with over a thousand clients. His work has primarily been investigating methods to optimize body composition and athletic performance through training, diet, and supplementation, and his athletes include collegiate and professional team sports athletes, elite bodybuilders, and actors. Welcome to the show, Jordan Joy. What's up, man? How's it going, buddy? Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, this is great. I This is my first time doing um, an in-person interview in the office, and I really, really love it. Really? So, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited, excited man. So... Um, we always start every show with that question, You know, what is the most um, critical problem you're currently trying to solve? Yeah, perfect.
0: The most critical problem I'm trying to solve right now is harmonizing the traditional ketogenic diet with the needs of the more common man and woman today who's active, they're not suffering from any diseases, they're just trying to incorporate this type of living as a healthier lifestyle. And reconciling that with the traditional differences and what we know about sport and the demands of sport and specifically anaerobic sports and anaerobic metabolism that requires carbohydrate and even for other sports, if proteins should be tweaked. Yeah. So really looking at the parameters and how they should be adjusted for an active person. So
1: the incongruence that that you're talking about with between standard ketogenic diets, therapeutic ketogenic diets and And what you're trying to find and and really um, hone in on is, I would probably guess protein being one of the issues where people are always trying to restrict protein and carbs is the other Mm -hmm. issue,
0: right? Yeah, so obviously people restrict carbohydrate, you know, be on a low-carb diet. um, And even before that, protein, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe some people are more liberal. I remember when I got started uh, in my own low-carb journey and when we started making, you know, getting out here talking about it a little bit more a few years ago it was the keto bro diet to eat high protein on a ketogenic diet because it's going to knock you out of ketosis yeah Um, sure like it can um, but if you're active you have a need for protein you have higher rates of protein turnover you're going to be expelling you'll be breaking down muscle tissue you'll be constantly rebuilding muscle tissue so you don't have that protein available to be diverted into glucose to knock you out of keto, if you're somebody who's physio- you're active, you have a very active metabolism and you need that protein to perform its other structure functions. Um, so protein to me should still, it should never leave that traditional description uh, the way that we prescribe it uh, as a grams per kilogram of body weight and that correlates to your activity, so that should still stay the same and then of course, with carbohydrate it's it 's a little bit different, but still some exercise demands having carbohydrate there 's no way around it there 's just not a physiological mechanism that circumnavigates those processes for which we need carbohydrate.
1: yeah, I definitely want to get into the details of that um first of all, with protein, usually what you see i mean finney 's talking about like back in the day when Finney was you know swatting people away were attacking the ketogenic diet he was he would say that a minimum a minimum of 1.2 grams per gram of uh per pound or kilo per kilo of their reference weight would be a minimum to not lose any lean tissue and then he capped it off at 1.7 i'm closer to like two grams per kilo is there kind of a, a an optimal range that you've seen
0: Before, in what I've done for my personal research, it's around still around two point two, two to two point two is what I've used. But so that ends up being a gram per pound. Yes, my research is primarily interested in body composition and as a component of that, retaining or building lean muscle. Okay, and that's perfectly in harmony with the traditional recommendations. Yeah, and even if we take that step further, uh, people, new investigations, new methods of testing protein balance. are revealing that we may even have greater need than that. And this is more akin to the really traditional, like old school hardcore bodybuilders going up to even as high as like four grams per kilogram per
1: day. Yeah. And I, 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 just did my nose to tail presentation and I, I don't know if you've probably seen this study. It was pretty recent, like one, one of many studies looking at higher protein diets. And there was one where people were doing 4.4 Dan grams Tony's per study.
0: Uh, I don't remember the author, man. guy, uh, cause I four point four sounds like Jose Antonio. He's got oh food. yeah, it was
1: Jose Antonio. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jose Antonio. If you guys don't know, he's prolific, man. He's I was following his caffeine stuff back when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. like fifteen years ago. Um, he obviously another big CSCS guy. I was CSCS, but I just stopped taking my uh-huh. <laughs> my CMEs. Um, and and they saw nothing. They saw no issues. I think they, there's some gastrointestinal issues from people eating too much food.
0: It was from, they were supplementing protein to get to such a high number. Oh. So it was whey protein. <laughs> so probably more of an allergy thing than yeah. just a straight pure protein thing.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, now let's talk about the, um, well, before we, we get into the details, because I, I want to definitely get into, you talked about the activities where there's no physiological mechanism for fat to be able to, able to keep up with those demands. Mm-hmm. But first, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you even came to keto.
0: Sure. Well, one quick note on uh, we do talk about this four point four for listeners. If you are keto and trying to stay in ketosis, four point four might still be a little bit high. Yeah, but it would definitely cover your needs for building muscle. So <laughs> yeah. you got to weigh the pros and cons there. Depends yep. on your goals and what you need. Yep. Uh, but how I came to keto. Um, so I was at University of Tampa, and we had a great relationship with Dymatize. We were doing a lot of research for them and their products, and there, uh, I think he was the vice president of R&D at the time, or director of R&D, uh, named Sean Wells. you probably heard of him.
1: Yeah. Uh, he was keto. He's been friend. keto
0: for like 10 or 20 years or something. I don't know how long, but he's been <laughs> doing it for a long time. And uh, our lab had gone to a National Strength and Conditioning Association conference, and we heard Volick speak. Oh, and yeah. We, I know this story. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was like 20 years old or something prior, you know, this is while... Diamatized was in the lab and everything. Uh, but we went and we listened, and I, we're sitting in the audience, like, listening to Volek talk. And obviously, we know what he's talking about. We're like, bull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because we're 20 year old college students, we know everything. Yeah, of course. Uh, but we, we, so we go back, and a few months goes by, and I, I do this internship with Diamatized and I stay with Sean. And just, I was, we were doing at the time uh, high fat, low carb breakfast, but uh, we were still low fat throughout. The entirety of the day because just having that uh, the carb deprivation and the influx of fat at the beginning of the day we were seeing a little bit of quote-unquote metabolic programming a little bit of increased metabolic flexibility throughout the entire day just by having that one meal kind of pseudo extending the fast and increasing your uh your metabolic flexibility so we were doing that already so i kept that up when i went and i staying with sean sean's keto And I just eventually kind of took on his lifestyle over the weeks that I was with him. And I go back to the lab and I get in there and everybody's like, dude, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And I I was busy the whole time. So I had not like, I've been lifting, but I hadn't been like checking myself out or anything. I would just, I'd wake up, I'd go, I'd do the internship. I'd come back, I'd work on presentation to present. So I wasn't really like paying a lot of attention to my training, or what I was doing. But I get back, everybody's astonished. They're like, dude, you lost so much weight. Like I see it in your face, you're all cut up. Like, what are you doing? And I was like. Yeah, I think I'm low carb, but
1: I mean, that's really, <laughs> it's really
0: all I'm doing. And then everybody got into it. Uh, we got quest to fund to study and then it was off to races there. That's awesome, man. I love Sean
1: and we'll, we'll see him next week. He and I are doing a fast together, three day mm-hmm. fast. Uh, first time I do that. So um, let's, let's go back to this, this carb thing because, you know, we, there's so many gaps that we need to fill in, you know, we're starting to fill them in. So, you know, can you build muscle on keto? Yes. Um, What happens when you get fat adapted? You you have a lot more access to fat at higher intensities. You know, the faster studies, the one that people always talk about, Mm -hmm. even though it's more for endurance. But obviously, the ability to spare glycogen by having access to fat at a higher intensity, at a higher percentage of your VO2 max is awesome. And I think it
0: was 76% for the fat adapted people versus like if you had asked me off the street, I would have said seventy five. So yeah, we can we can say seventy six. Yeah, seventy five.
1: <laughs> but it was like fifty six or sixty percent for the sugar mm-hmm. burners, right. and it was either I think the cutoff was when more than fifty percent of the fuel was coming from sugar. But I don't know if I'm. Don't quote me. But I, regardless, the the point at which they primarily switched to glucose mm-hmm. was at a much lower rate. However, if we're talking about 76% repeated efforts with little rest, what are the what, you know, how does that change, you know, because the way I understand, you know, once you get past a certain point of intensity and you're not allowing yourself to recover, you're you're going to run out of fuel. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little bit because I think that's one of the things that people are they're saying, oh, you can use more fat, but still there's a certain point right. where you can't.
0: Right. So a couple of topics we all know, we've probably all heard of the fat burning zone, right? So it's like 60% or so of intensity of traditional cardio is when you are burning primarily fat. And that's whatever that rate is. Let's say you're really, really good at it. As a carbohydrate consumer, you're at a gram per minute. Mm-hmm. And that used to be the theoretical maximum before we started doing these types of Of investigations Uh, but if you go you keep working harder obviously you're burning more calories so the extra calories at those intensities are coming from glucose right now you get fat adapted you push that up like you're saying but still anything over 76% that's going to be switching over primarily glucose just that's just the way our energy systems work so that's the bioenergetics of exercise you have the three energy systems. Of course, the ATP-CP system, the oxygen system, which lasts you 15 seconds, and then you have anaerobic, which about two minutes until aerobic takes over. You only use fat aerobic. You, know, you can't use it anaerobic. So if you're doing anything high intensity, if you're a 200 meter sprinter, 400 meter sprinter, it's all carbohydrate. I mean, you get a little bit of fat in there, but uh, yeah, it's all it's all carbs. Yeah. So if it's, it's like a it? if it's like a 40 second sprint. You got enough glycogen there. Sure. Yeah. Um, But that's, I mean, if that's race day, then that's fine. But when you're in practice and you're training for an hour, what do you do? Yeah. You're going to run out. And you're not going to be able to perform maximally throughout that entire session. And you will not achieve what I would call optimal gains in your speed or your performance otherwise. So there comes a need for a person who's active to have carbohydrate incorporated into the diet and then balancing that with a low-carb ketogenic lifestyle is just supplying what you need and then calling it there and not eating 600 grams a day because somebody told you that that's what you have to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think, I think more people are starting to realize this. I, I personally, you know, the fact that I can access a different type of training that I was completely leaving for years, that's, that's a big deal to me, you know, because, you know, if we, we can, we can get much more sarcoplasmic, for instance, hypertrophy with this high volume stuff that we're not really doing any of that with the, with the type of training that we usually do, which is like, you know, maybe five to eight reps, two to three minute rest or, or less reps if you're going heavier. Um, so, you know, if you're able to access, if you're able to do more work and you're able to do this more intense work with these carbs and you're going to burn through the sugar, I don't know what the,
0: what the hold up right. is. So I'm a kind of a muscle head, right? So I started <laughs> getting into this and that was the, the fear, right? It was that we wouldn't be able to build muscle. This is before we did a lot of research on it. So we didn't really know. It was just kind of what people would say just a little bit to suggest better muscle retention during weight loss. Oh, yeah, um, but, with keto? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, a few years ago, that was pretty much all we had. So, you know, we did it anyway. And uh, we were fearful of our training volume. So my rationale was, well, I'll just do a couple extra sets. And you'd also notice when you first get early on, you don't get that burning sensation. So there's a little bit of missing feedback. Yeah. Like, so you don't, like, you're tired, but there's no, like... Yes, I got myself to that point where you have, like, your normal feedback telling you how hard your training is and how good you're doing in the moment Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how you're structuring things in terms of your reps and your rest and all that stuff. And as I'm a powerlifter, so, I mean, I rest a long time anyway. uh, But I noticed, like, even with that, I would be resting a little bit longer before I started trying to incorporate carbohydrates back in.
1: I I want to ask you about this, man, and I, I know it's probably not a fair question because I, I just can't see where where it would come from. But for me, I haven't really felt strong in the last three years, but I also haven't been training heavy, you know. But, you know, I started incorporating some carbs once a week, a, a carb up, and, and actually four times a week, pre-workout super starch, which might as well not be a carb. Um, have you... I haven't seen anything on this, but like top end strength and carbs. I I don't see where the correlation would be, but anecdotally, people just feel stronger and do stronger. What do you think that could be, man? What's what's driving that?
0: Well, even just hearing that, some of it could be psychological. It's got to be. Heavy lifting is so much psychological, like being able to be in the right mindset and not being nervous. So I give you an example like I tore my hamstring like 8 weeks ago or so. Uh, and I went back to the same weight last week and it was fine. My hamstring's totally fine, but I came off the ground so slow that I didn't finish the lift because oh. I was just so nervous about my hamstring pulling. Yeah. But now that I know it won't, I know I can go back in and I'll be able to pull it and it'll be fine. Yeah, so that's just one example. But in terms of actual physiological what could be going on there? It's from a bioenergetic standpoint, nothing. Yeah, because it's all ATP, CP. So maybe you could have less phosphogen available. Um, I don't think that that's the case, but it could be. And a possible other explanation is just a chronic training effect, and that coming from volume over time. However, it's the intensity of the exercise more so than the volume for strength gains and then for muscle gain, the volume instead of the intensity.
1: So could it be that you know maybe just the the volume over time uh, drives up cortisol? There's nothing there really to modulate it. I mean, that could be it. I just, but I do I do notice that, and I just you know even just the super starch. Maybe it's a placebo effect. I don't know, man. But I I feel a difference. Um, so I, we kind of have alluded to this already, but I I just want to hear. As a person who does a ton of research, what's the what's the main thing that's exciting you? And what are you what are you studying the most? What are some of the things that you've
0: you've looked at? Well, most recently, uh, I mean, we'll talk about my dissertation. So, comparing yeah. uh, traditional keto diet, uh, targeted keto diet using a low glycemic starch. In our case, it's pea starch carb ten, which is similar, derived other- from
1: peas. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes it a little bit more attractive, I think, because a lot mm-hmm. of people. Get turned off to corn in the, yep, in the U.K. This,
0: this is a pea starch. Okay. so uh, Similar in its, its effects, it's really low impact. You get pretty minimal glucose insulin response, uh, so definitely a low glycemic. Um, but We compared that keto diet, targeted keto with that, and then we also had a carbohydrate-based diet and a targeted, quote-unquote, targeted carbohydrate-based diet that did the same uh, pre-exercise carbohydrate supplementation as did the targeted keto group okay so we did a f- yeah, these are uh, college age kids men and women um, trained they're recreationally trained so not inactive but not superstars um, so we had them trained for for nine weeks had a good training we had a four week block uh, taper week and then another four week block and testing on both ends full gamut of testing so there was, uh, during those uh, nine weeks we were doing a mix of cardiovascular and resistance training. Three days resistance, two days cardiovascular. And working on goals of building strength, building power output, you know, testing them on wind gates. So the cycle sprint test, they ran a 5K. We had, uh, the 5K is kind of interesting. So we programmed in, we had them run the 5K of course, but also during that we had two hill segments. So we bumped up the incline on the treadmill and we made them go against that for uh, half a kilometer. So they did- uh, As part. part of the 5K? Mm-hmm like at the end and we measured those segments and oh. so it was they went uh, the first kilometer and then they did 250 meters of incline and then they went to four and we did it again for 250 meters okay i like that I like and we that. measured all those segments didn't end up finding anything different but it was still it was a cool test yeah um, and the the sprint test was repeated so we did six consecutive wind gates instead of just doing one so that's an expansion on pre-existing research that'll come into play and we did body composition we're looking at body composition with consideration for fluid shifts so very I'll say very advanced but a more advanced uh, body composition determination technique so through all of that we get through and the keto group obviously lost more weight uh, more fat mass and more weight wow Uh,
1: that's good because sometimes they don't lose more weight. Sometimes the, the other group, the the, the high-carb group, loses more weight, but doesn't matter because it's lean. A lot of it's lean mass.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and this is, these are both keto groups. And uh, keto versus targeted keto had the same fat loss. Uh, they had the same muscle gain. And their muscle gain was also the same as the carbohydrate groups. It was about two kilos in that time, which is good for men and women average together. Yeah. Uh, same gains in strength, same gains uh, vertical jump height. Except we did notice that having the carbohydrate with both groups, even the carbohydrate dieters and the targeted keto guys, having the carbohydrate supplementation improves their vertical jump height compared to the traditional group, or the you know the non-supplemented control group.
1: Statistically significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. We did mm-hmm. uh, an ultrasound determination of muscle glycogen before and after the 5K. And with the carbohydrate supplementation, it was improved. That should be expected. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with the really interesting results are with the repeated wing gates. And if you're, I mean, maybe if it's the first time you're talking about keto, you're like, oh, they gained the same muscle. Maybe that's interesting. But if for our group that's probably listened to us before, uh, gaining the same amount of muscle, maybe that's expected. There's no compromise to the amount of muscle you can gain just by being on a low-carb ketogenic diet but getting into the the gates, this repeated sprints. So they, if you've ever done Wingate before, you know that they're hell. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> and if you do them occluded, like Jordan did them with Ben, I'm glad yeah. I wasn't there for that. <laughs>
0: there's still time. Right?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm happy he's not in town because he wrote <laughs> me into that for sure.
0: <laughs> um, so we did, uh, the, the, the wing They're they're so high intensity. They're just, they're purely like a hundred percent effort. They're even some people call them super maximal. Uh, but they're glycogen depleting, yeah. and they'll, they'll deplete glycogen really fast, even uh, you know, regardless of diet. It's just that's the demand of anaerobic exercise, like we were mentioning earlier. If you do that type of exercise, you're losing glycogen because you need it to fuel the muscle contractions, and that type of exercise is the only way it can be generated quickly enough. So previous research, they do one Wingate test when they're comparing ketogenic.
1: And what is the length again? Is it a minute?
0: it's modifiable most of the time it's 30 seconds yeah a I minute mean, would just be way too long for yeah them. after even after like 15 to 20 seconds it's not really maximum you're, you're, you're
1: barely moving the pedals you're just and like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and that plays back into ATPCP yeah so once that's gone you're on the decline so uh, you have to be really 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 well trained to be able to maintain pretty high power for the full 30 seconds which is the normal test um, it goes that long sometimes you want to measure power drop set. Yeah. So for some people, that's a, a point of interest. Um, for us, it was peak power, which you get at the beginning of the test. So we did six of them. We did a 30-second to get a little bit more fatigued, and then we did follow-ups with six seconds for the next five. So a total of a minute for the whole thing. But so our aim is to see how the keto group and the non-keto normal dieting group respond to this glycogen depleting exercise, looking at their peak power from their first set to their last set. And even with regular keto, so we'll go back with the previous research only looking at one and what they usually find is that power output is decreased and that's what they'll publish. And then that's what the people who don't like what we have to say so much kind of champion. They're like, but well, they're always your they're, power. Output.
1: But those, those are, from what I understand, a lot of those are like one week studies
0: or you know, the ones Sometimes. that I think, yeah. Sometimes there's, there's longer ones, <clears throat> but st- even still, even like our research. So, the first one we did, the one that was Quest sponsored, uh, we just did one. And we did it after uh, the 10 weeks of training, and power output was down. And it was down 25 watts for the keto group compared to 25 watt increase in the carbohydrate group after that time. Now, we refed those guys carbs and we tested them again and then it was not different. So these guys made adaptations, they just didn't have the energy substrate available to realize those gains in power output. And that leads into this bigger study where we do the repeated. So we still get that first set power drop where they actually stayed the same. In this case, the carbohydrate group got better and they outpaced the keto group. Uh, And the other, the strict, they didn't get the carbohydrate supplement groups Um, And then after the six sets that they do, the control group goes, their power output decreases over time. Both of them decrease over time. The the control group, they decrease more because they're what I would call carbohydrate dependent. They have a carbohydrate dependent metabolism. But the keto group, they still lost power, but they didn't lose as much power. So I'm calling that fatigue resistance. They have an anaerobic fatigue resistance, even though they are not carbohydrate dependent. Because they're not burning as much carbohydrate and they don't need it as much. They have a little bit higher threshold, so they have a little bit more available and they can power their exercise longer.
1: Yeah. And, and then all the all the decreases in Ross and all the
0: other things that you get, mm-hmm. you know, with keto. Yeah. But even even from a pure performance standpoint, are you going to win the fight in the first ten seconds? Probably not. Yeah, that's true. At least most times. Maybe you can pull that off once, but it's probably not gonna be <laughs> the situation every time you walk into the <laughs> ring. And just for athletes that's just so tremendously important so uh, it's it's really challenging to me for people to resist the diet when it's like well if you just make a little bit you're like can't you see the benefits beyond this one acute little marker that people have said you know, championed as a reason not to do it But um, put all that aside let's say we give them carbohydrate well now the keto group the targeted keto group they don't have a decrease in power on the first set and they have fatigue resistance. So you got the best of <laughs> and both And this is course. irrespective of fat adaptation or, or anything? This was still fat adapted. So we okay, did this okay. before and after the training intervention, the nine weeks of training.
1: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. if it did the other way around, it, it would be terrible. It would be yeah. very cool, man. Um, so let's, let's go back to this other stuff. Because we're talking about, you know, I think a lot of the, the people who are They're scared of of adding carbs, for instance, targeted carbs. I I think that makes the most sense. I I still personally, now that I've been doing that one day a week of that cyclical, and kudos to you, man, because I was like, there's TKD and there's CKD. And I'm like, but what if you do CKD and TKD? And that's what when I first talked to you with Ben, I was like, that makes a ton of sense. Eat the carbs right before the workout. And then the post-workout carbs, you know, to replenish glycogen and and protein synthesis and all that um, but you know a lot of people one of the reasons why you know you've seen this huge increase in blood ketone testing and uh, blood sugar testing and there's there's a lot of testing going on and there's not a lot of knowledge either um, so like you know people are testing for instance like ketone responses after they eat a meal like 30 minutes later or something and they're like still in ketosis you know <laughs> Um so you know, what's the physiological relevance of these numbers? Because I think people automatically say more is better and deeper into ketosis. And I have seen, you know, some stuff like, for instance, um, supplements. There was one or two studies that I've read that, that supplements that don't increase your blood ketones by one millimolar, anything less than one millimolar is not really leading to a performance enhancement. But in general, before we even get to that, like What's the relevance of, of the blood ketone numbers and, I guess what I'm saying, is, what, what I'm trying to ask is, why why is it not that relevant, the 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 extent of your ketosis? That's that's where I'm trying to get to.
0: Yeah, don't fixate on the number. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, yeah, we've already touched on a couple of things that I have in the ebook that I just put out, but one of the things oh, yeah. I say, I borrowed a quote from Fight Club. Okay, and they say you're not your effing khakis. <laughs> I say you're not your effing ketones. That's right. Like it's a good way to measure uh, for people who are adapting, and this is the reason it's used in research: is because we need to take people who are not keto, and we need to verify that they've made it into ketosis. Yeah. So we need to see that increase in order to say they are compliant with the diet, and we can observe these variables and say that this is an effect of the diet. Now, now that this is popular and it's in the public sphere we have a more is better mentality so we see a bigger number that's better but it's i mean if you're going for keto clarity cognitive effects i think that there's something to that Um, and that's a range that might have some inter-individual variation i hear like four being a good number for a lot of people like on average around four Um, but other than that there's it's it's really just energy substrate. So if you were carbohydrate based or carbohydrate dependent, having a blood glucose of 150 isn't better than having one of 75. <laughs> that's really true. So, yeah, that's um, exactly the same. It really is. From an energy perspective, yeah, it's not, it's not different. Yeah. Um, the glucose may go on to wreak havoc, whereas the ketones may not, but it's still excess energy substrate. Now, we don't have a defined range for ketones, but... Um, that we accept now the you know the clinicians and whatever exists they'll say less than so and so but obviously we're looking at it the other way we want more than yeah you know for bhb 0.3 for total ketone 0.5 in order to say you're in ketosis Uh, but even saying in ketosis is a little bit controversial to me because if you're you know is it really the goal to be in ketosis just to have this high number is your goal to be able to utilize fat effectively. And if you want to utilize fat effectively, should you do so at the expense of being able to utilize glucose effectively? And if you're active, I hope that that's no. And if you're a regular person that wants to not have problems with your metabolism, I still hope that that's, that's no. You should be able to utilize both. Yeah, You shouldn't have a problem switching back and forth between both. Uh, so using ketones as a marker, one thing that we notice, that I've noticed, at least in research, uh, so we have people they'll, they'll get on the diet and after the first week we'll measure their ketones and their ketones will be way up and then next week they're a little bit lower and then the week after that they're a little bit lower and then week four they're not low but they're not high and that's a quick adaptation yeah you no know, it's with exercise that yeah that's it's, true. it's you know they're starting five days a week in most cases so
1: which by the way I want people to know that like I said that's a quick adaptation because we jordan and i have already we've seen this play out you've seen in the Verta study the two year Verta study i'm sure you've seen that and just anecdotally what we're so when we see ketone numbers going down in someone who's 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 doing it doing the diet properly we 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 kind of guess that that person's getting more fat adapted right because yeah. there's less ketones floating around in their right. blood
0: so i mean if i could draw a picture that would be great but we have <laughs> You know we have these components of metabolism, these different you know parts of it, and we take the ketones are essentially short chain fats, and the short chain fats build up when we can't fully metabolize a longer chain fat and then they just circulate around in the blood well, they have to be taken up by cells and utilized as energy and part of the quote unquote keto flu aka carbohydrate withdrawals is you don't have the glucose to make yourself happy, but you haven't yet learned how to use the ketones. So as they go down during the early stages is your cells building the receptors for the BHB ketones or you know whatever it happens to be, probably BHB. Uh, and then they start to come down over time as your cells adapt and they learn to use them. So uh, at the beginning, they're just built up. And even you, know, you can extend that out if you're doing a fast or a fat fast, they're still just building up because you're not using them for actual energy production, for ATP production. So they're just building up, and then you have these overload mechanisms, and they escape through the urine.
1: What about- um, Or get redeposited. Somewhere, yeah. Um, but very, very unlikely, right? Because that's that's the whole thing, right? It's less likely to be. Uh, ketones are, uh, what's the word? Um, I guess, like, uh, I'm trying to think of like exogenous ketones, for example. Like they, they can ramp up fat burning as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to
0: think of lipolytic,
1: maybe. I guess that's what that's what the word is. It makes sense, lipolytic. Okay, um, yeah, lipolytic. Um, so, what about BHB? So you ta- you said BHB versus total ketones. What are people using to measure total ketones? That's that's an interesting thing.
0: It'll be uh, something that we use in research, so it'd just be like a a different test. We don't use the meters or anything. It's not like a common. Oh, it's uh, a more robust blood. Yeah, it'd be like you having to go to the doctor to get a certain blood measurement. Okay, gotcha. You just measure total instead of a single one.
1: Gotcha, man. And um, all right, so let's let's people stay strict keto, and you know I think a lot of it is you know there's on one hand there's benefits to getting much more adapted but you know what are the benefits of staying strict keto for longer and you know what what are the potential
0: downsides for that sure i think there's so we've been talking about carbohydrates and balancing our metabolism to be able to you know metabolic flexibility to go back and forth between fats and glucose so the long term Effects of being on a ketogenic diet, I think, I don't want to call. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean it's negative because your your body is not going to expend energy to build and maintain insulin receptors, glucose transporters. So when that time eventually comes that you reintroduce glucose to the diet, especially if it's in a large quantity, your body doesn't really know what to do with that. So it's going to build up in the blood. You're going to have high blood glucose. It's not going to be it happened to me. Positive. It's happened to me too. Uh, when I was writing my dissertation about being keto and I was locked up in my apartment and eating pizza for like two weeks. <laughs> uh, I wasn't feeling great. I got it done in 12 days. Nice. <laughs> I did literally just like me,
1: man. I always I do really, really well under the gun. I feel the best like that. I can't be that guy who's like writing like a little bit every day.
0: Yeah, I felt good until I had to. I ran out of food and I started ordering pizzas. (laughs) Other than that, we're doing great. Um, But yeah, so the downsides. I I think that that's the main one. Um, Now, if you never reintroduce carbohydrate diet, okay, you'll never notice it. Um, And carbohydrate, you don't obviously need them, so you know that's if that's your prerogative. But chances are that's going to happen sometime. So. You want access to it, especially as an athlete. Prepared, yeah, yeah. Like, especially as an athlete. Yeah. Downsides for for athletes are are much more pronounced because unless you are purely an ultra endurance athlete, you're going to use carbohydrate during exercise.
1: Yeah. Um, what about? So here's another interesting one, and uh, this this is just straight up all speculation. So I want to just get your thoughts on it. I noticed um, this was in my first year of being keto um I, I backed one of these companies that that was starting a ketone supplement and you know i didn't i didn't at the time i didn't want to take the one that was out cuz i was like ah i don't want to i don't want to give those people money mm-hmm. you know they were trying to tell people they could lose weight in you know in 2 days and being in ketosis in 30 minutes and all that so i finally did i did say you know it's time it was like 8 months in it's time for me to try exogenous ketones and i noticed that like within 2 to 3 months of taking them and i stopped I had a new, higher baseline of ketones, of blood ketones, in you know, and that was interesting to me. And I was trying to think what what could possibly be driving that. And the only thing I could possibly think of was, you know, when you have high ketone levels, you 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 made me think of it when you're talking about glucose transporters, mm-hmm. because when you have high ketones um, a lot, and your, your body's creating all these ketones, and your body you're telling your body that we're going to be using ketones. Um, you need to have a good amount of MCT transporters, and I know you can increase that with exercise, but is it possible that if you take something that drives up blood ketones, even if it's artificially, is it possible to increase MCT transporters so that now you got, like, like Ryan said in his book, uh, more lanes on a highway, mm-hmm. that's how he, that illusion. Mm-hmm. Is that a possibility <clears throat> or is that just bunk? I'm just trying to.
0: No, it's absolutely a possibility. Um, if you're asking me for a, a specific study that I could reference to say that this is definitely going to happen, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I can, I would go so far to say I guarantee that that could happen because that's what happens in the earlier stages. We yeah. never answered the good part about being on a ketogenic diet for a
1: long term. Yeah, time. yeah. Well, we uh, but, we assume that people are, are on board, but let's <laughs> let's talk about that because that's that's really. I w- I don't want people. I feel like I'm like I'm telling people to not be keto. Just because I'm yep. telling them to eat carbs. <laughs> and I think they're creating this false dichotomy. And that's not what I'm saying. Like, right. we're still keto. I'm still keto. I'm mostly carnivore. I eat carbs once a week. And I do some pre-workout
0: carbs. Mm-hmm. And I'm in ketosis all the time. Mm-hmm. So yep. <laughs> But uh, so for a good thing, you know, we were talking about adaptation and phases of adaptation. We don't know what the adaptation window really is. And I think that that's a really important point to make. Because mm-hmm. we usually say like two to four weeks or maybe a little longer maybe two months, maybe three months, but we don't know when it is. We have nothing to say even what it is in order to define when that can occur. Yeah. So how can we, we look at ketones, but they can be up in a day. And then we look at side effects of carbohydrate withdrawals. And now those will be gone in a couple of weeks. And then after that, we say, okay, you're adapted. But what I don't about, think that that's the case. What about
1: fatty acid? Um, Utilization, like how how do, how is that tested? Because once your body is using fat,
0: mm-hmm. um, I would assume that's keto adapted. That'll still increase in a relatively short period of time. Oh, okay. So, and that's so sure. my conflict with how we're defining being quote unquote in ketosis or saying what is quote unquote fat adapted or quote unquote keto adapted is we have this lag time between, and this is in the research. This is comparing between different studies, so we have so let's say like four weeks we look at muscle glycogen and keto is different it's lower and that's makes sense yeah. Uh, but if we look six months later it's the same and it's now these are different populations maybe I'm I'm referring to a trained population that will be inducing they'll be forcing upon them a stimulus that would cause an adaptation for them to store glycogen even if it's coming from gluconeogenesis or what have you if they're just their bodies are rationalizing rationing carbs to be stored as glycogen in anticipation of the event that they need them which would be their exercise but so somewhere between one and six months we have this restoration of homeostasis but we don't know exactly when that occurs
1: it gets even more complicated when you're looking at like peak performance because you know, like, was it the faster study? It might have been. I think it took them over a year to get back to to pring again. You know, like these people. Um, and I, I don't know if it was a faster study or it was just another a case study where it was elite, elite ultra marathoners. And I don't know how these people. I kudos to them because it's amazing. It's really good for us to have this information. But when you're an elite competitor Mm -hmm. and you are posting worse times than last year, you know, so that what they saw was these people, they, the, the, the second year or the first year they were posting times consistently that were slower than, than Mm -hmm. before keto. But then in the second year, it it went, they blew past that and they started Mm PRing. So that's even more of a complicated thing because we're talking about keto or fat adaptation, but then we're talking about restoring and improving performance. I feel like that's even more
0: nebulous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can tell you stories at least from a coach I know works with a couple of different triathletes and it'll he'll have them on keto for like the first few months of it and they'll just be complaining the whole time they'll be like I I feel terrible you know my performance isn't as good Uh, but he'll you know they stick with it and then after a while they'll go run a race and be like oh I ran my best time I don't know how I did it I didn't even prepare I didn't take any like gels but my performance was off the charts and they're like yeah. I mean, I told you, just <laughs> thank you for listening to me and coming to this realization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm glad we, we're, we're, getting more and more information as time goes by. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about what you do. Um, cause i I've, I've straight up copied you and I'm telling you, I had the best, um, training session that I've had in years, uh, last Thursday. Until today, which now was the best training session I've had in years. <laughs> and that was because I've, I've been um, doing a full day of carbs. Um, most of it is just 40 grams or so or a little bit less pre-workout. And then like another hundred and something plus um, in the post-workout meal. And then just a little bit more like 30 or 40 to round it out being like right around body weight for um, carbs what are you doing with your training? You've been doing this for a while. Um, and, you know, just so people could get a, a good
0: idea. Yeah. I wish I could say how I came to do the, both the combined targeted and cyclical approach. Genius. Um, but I couldn't tell you how I came to do it. I just, it just, <laughs> I started doing it and I never really stopped. Um, so what I do is, is both like you're saying. And, I like to have now more recently, like it's been very recent, but I've been having carbohydrate and ketones during exercise.
1: Oh yeah. Explain that because you coming out with a product that has those and I'm, I'm really curious to see how it is that we can be using both
0: and what, what's the thought process behind that too? The Thought process is, is, is dual fueling to put it simply. So we have different energy systems. So let's supply both energy systems. And ideally, if you're a person who has that metabolic flexibility, you will use both. And in a more commercial side, I put the ketones in the carbohydrates so that people would eat the product and not be scared of exiting ketosis. Oh, yeah. So there's that aspect. Even as well. though the
1: carbs that you put in there were the carb 10. Yes, even like still, I, wanted a, I put
0: in a little bit of a spectrum. So it's mostly the really low glycemic stuff, but it's a little bit of moderate and then of course two grams of sugar so you got a little bit of quick carbs and and by
1: the way that's that's the way they structured the internal and the external studies of at least some of them for super they added five grams of carbs of of fast-acting carbs Mm -hmm. like a sugar or like a honey with the super starch Mm -hmm. and and what's
0: the what's the thought process behind that well if you're active you're gonna have immediate energy needs and then you're gonna have energy needs over a more prolonged period so the short Carbs elevate blood glucose quickly, mm-hmm. and I mean, I say it's going to elevate blood glucose, but it's going to go into the blood and then it's going to go into the muscle as long as you're doing it right. Yep. So you're just you're just spacing out essentially three different curves, mm-hmm. and one of them's going to go, and then, and then
1: right? yeah, that that I love that <laughs> I love that, and I mean, and and then if you're an aerobic, um, you know, energy system, like you, you're able to use glycogen and fat. So you know anything aerobic. Is what, like, uh, what would you say, a
0: little bit more than a minute or two minutes, I, I, I guess? More than two minutes. Okay, uh, It'll be pretty high intensity if it's like five minutes, but so yeah, we'll uh, use a mix pretty much no matter what. Um, but even if you're a uh, resistance training, you know, uh, what you would normally call an anaerobic athlete, but if you're intermittent, so with weightlifters who rest between sets, mm-hmm. uh, it's really interesting. So, like, during the act of exercising, when you're lifting weights, that's... ATP, anaerobic, and then between sets, you shift, and you'll burn fat between sets. Even like if you're not keto-adapted, you just burn fat between sets. You start to regenerate ATP that way, and then you build up your ATP-CP stores for your next set. So having both of them available, provided that you have metabolic flexibility, you'll utilize both, and in a perfect world, you'd use them in a segmented way. Now of course your body's gonna overlap and it's not gonna do do it that way, but you have both available for when you need it. Okay.
1: And oh man, I'm excited about that, man. That's that's (laughs) really cool. Have you guys done any any like internal studies on
0: that? Just anecdotally. Okay. I I feel awesome.
1: Yeah. Like I usually don't notice
0: things like that, but this one I use it for a few days and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? These are actually different sessions. Yeah I feel a lot better. That's awesome. Do you feel it's just like you 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 can go longer and peak higher? It's just my like so my training as a powerlifter, um, I I it's programmed all like percent one RM and it'll it'll vary over the, the session and it'll wave you'll go through waves. But sometimes with before I was doing the product, I go in some days I'd have bad days. When yeah. I take it, I just either have like okay days or I have great days. Yeah, and I can hit all my numbers pretty comfortably. I can pretty much always increase my numbers. And depending on like your background, uh, some people who like if their coach gives them numbers, they stick to the numbers. But I do my own coaching, or it's not coaching. I do my own programming. Yeah, that's uh, me too. <laughs> so
1: most of the time, when my when my friend wrote a cycle for me once, uh, my friend Brian Carroll. but yeah. I was I was training a lot like him anyway. So,
0: mm-hmm. um, but if I say to do like five sets of three at ninety uh, percent. By time I get to that fifth set, it's going to be over ninety oh, yeah, percent, or I course. probably am not going to continue on to do those five sets because something's disrupted my capacity for work or whatever happens to be. I'm having a bad day. I can't. I can't hit those. But I always seem to be able to at least increase a little bit on the last set. But with this, I can. You know, I can go up a lot. Wow. And I mean, a lot to me would be like maybe twenty pounds or like a couple percent. Yeah. So it's but. It's just consistent. It's I start feeling that way. Like I know it's happening sooner uh, within the rep, the, the set scheme. So mm-hmm. like I might notice it by the second or third. I might start getting a little bit more confidence and starting to increase the weight a little bit earlier than I would normally.
1: And you um, can't you can't measure that, man. But we can. Yeah, you can't just, measure it objectively. But that that's worth a lot to me. Yeah, that, it's, that confidence. I facing.
0: as a scientist, I hate when people tell me like, "Oh, I just know." sometimes you just know yeah and like
1: it's confidence too when you're when your confidence is increasing like there's nothing like being confident i mean obviously there's a false confidence yeah but you're, you're <laughs> not going to get false confidence when your warm-ups are feeling like yeah you can't have
0: actual tangible results with false confidence <laughs> yeah and like like you're not the weight always in, wins
1: exactly you're you're in the warm-up room and you know you're, you're not even at your your last warm-up and it's feeling heavy I don't yeah. care how confident you are. <laughs> yeah. Something's off.
0: You're not going to have a good day. Yeah. So what I'm doing to get back to the original question is yeah. I'm doing that during, uh, sometimes I'll have some before, um, like with a fruit or a honey, something quick. I'll have immediately before, uh, as I'm walking to the gym, or I'm driving to the gym. Um, I don't do a lot post, um, mm-hmm. just to me, once I'm done exercising, I want to start to get back into ketosis. And again, my, Concerns are performance, not necessarily muscle gain. So having uh, the insulin spike and all the growth factors that are associated to drive growth aren't quite as important. I want to be able to shift back into fat burning mode, Mm -hmm. if you will. And then once a week, sometimes twice, usually once, I will have my cyclical day or meal, um, and I'll have you know, like I said, like 100 or 120 grams uh, in a single sitting. Plus another 80 or so, you told me. Like yeah, that. plus my normal daily carbs, okay, which are around 80. Um, and, and what does that, um, when you were,
1: I don't know if you've been testing, but when you were consistently testing, what does that translate on average to like fasted ketone numbers, 80 carbs? Because you, you know you're saying like this is
0: sacrilege, right? Like yeah. 80, <laughs> this is not 50.
1: And it's definitely not 20.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so if we understand that these are energy nutrients and we're going and we're doing an activity, that's very high energy expenditure the carbs are coming in and then they're going out and then we're back into ketosis after. So my numbers are pretty much the same. And yeah, you know, I've measured a couple of times, but a lot of times it's just by feel. Cause like when I have come out and previously before I did it regularly, I would just feel bad. Yeah. I, so, but I would measure and I'd associate with those numbers and, would just understand like when I feel this way I'm 0.2 and my glucose is 105 or something like that so um but when I first started incorporating carbs is it wouldn't be they're not there wouldn't be great numbers uh, yeah glucose a little bit high usually high normal it wasn't usually a, like an issue was it because size. was it
1: because this was after that long period of time without the carbs
0: yeah so it was so I, I like kind of experimented but most for the most part during the first few years I was doing keto I was pretty strict keto um, until go on vacation or something and then yeah. it's I'm just kind of let go yeah um, before now I'm a little older a little bit more responsible I kind of stick to it but you know you let loose <laughs> when, you're, when you're 21, 22 so um, but my to give you a number is usually I'm usually fasted around like 0. .4 to 0. .6 and my numbers when I was eating carbs they weren't any different so that, but that's like an overnight fast so in part of that if I eat and then measure I can easily get up over one, uh, to, as long as a high fat meal. Yeah. And that's again, what I, would, uh, I was talking about how these people are adapting in the studies over a couple of weeks after four weeks, four or five weeks, I started to measure them during the day instead of after an overnight fast. And then the numbers go back up because oh, they yeah. have the fat available to then generate the ketones.
1: Yeah. From just a little bit of one or two meals or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that we have definitions, but how is eighty carbs a day for you not strict keto? I would I would say that, I mean, it's a ketogenic diet. You're producing ketones. You're low insulin. Your blood sugar's low.
0: It's not strict for two reasons. Okay, um, and one of them is this total carbohydrate rule that we have applied based on sedentary individuals, uh, and the other one is that it's net carbs. Oh. Okay, eighty net carbs. So it's not like a big difference. Twenty or thirty high fiber. fiber but.
1: Yeah. So one of the things you talked about, um, I don't know if it was off air or, or when we were with recording with Ben, was you you you've been really trying to standardize, you know, just like we do with protein, um, you know, standardize for active individuals and for mm-hmm. lifters, you know, some more realistic carb numbers. Where are you with that, and and have you have you designed any studies
0: and or or carried out any studies? Uh, not based. Uh, we've done the, some. I would call it pilot work to this okay. point, where we are just titrating up carbohydrate in response to exercise and seeing when people fall out of ketosis, um, but nothing very formal where it could be like a really really good prescription. It's what I have developed is based on resting muscle glycogen levels, how they respond to a typical weight training session or uh, cardio session, and then kind of uh, working in the differences between fat fat adapted and carbohydrate dependent people, which are what most of the studies are based on, um, to determine that obviously people fat adapted will use a little less glycogen unless it's a purely anaerobic activity. Uh, And then relating that also to muscle size and through a bunch of calculations, if you just wanted to like ballpark it. I do have the conservative end for cardio, which if uh, for normal recommendations for cardio is 30 to 60 grams an hour. So I just I stick to lower and I say 30 because it's probably going to be about half. You could say 15 to 30. This is for
1: like a cardio with with the, the end not being burning fat, the end being performance.
0: Because if you're burning fat... If you're trying to lose weight, then, yeah, then, yeah don't have the carbs because you're just going to prevent yourself from accessing your body fat stores. Yeah. Um, and I also use that to weigh in on, like, are you going to use carbohydrate for building muscle purposes and how often are you going to do it? Are you going to be targeted, cyclical growth? Um, so for me, and what I'm telling you I do, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm performance-based and then muscle after that, and I'm not really concerned about losing fat. So... For me, uh, it's it's not a big deal to have a few extra carbs, <clears throat> but you know, obviously depending on goals. Uh, if you are somebody who's trying to use fat, then don't have carbohydrate during exercise, it, just performance. Um, and then for weightlifting, I I section it off a little bit by body part. It's about like 0.15, 0.2 if you're doing uh, small muscle group like arms. Where
1: where can people find this?
0: I uh, have it uh, in the ebook. So the new rules of the keto, which tries to work in. The rules for the active lifestyle uh, as opposed to uh, what we've normally based it on up to this point is our sedentary people and trying to keep them in ketosis. So the New Rules of Keto's ebook I have up on uh, subs.com. If you go in, you join the email list, you'll get it. You'll be sent the link for free. You can check it out. It's a decent-sized ebook, It's more like a short, real book. Mm-hmm. I like it, it man. It's... like a 10-page typical ebook that you get for free. So I put a lot of effort into it. It's kind of like my manifesto.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot. I think people should definitely check it out because, like, Jordan and I uh, met together for sushi right before this because this is my carb-up day. Sorry, guys. Uh,
0: it wasn't mine. I had sushi.
1: Yeah, he had sashimi. What is this world coming to? Um, and, yeah, like, the, I, I, re- I really just like um, how you have it, like, kind of standardized because people, they want to, like, you know, see, you know, per pound or per kilogram or whatever. Um <laughs> When are you gonna do another meet, man?
0: I don't know. So I told you I had the hamstring injury. Yeah. I was starting to get back towards that. And once my squat starts going up, so my doubt's been going up, and my bench has been going up, and I just need my squat to go because i I put a lot of like my personal my identity in the squat. because yeah. when I first started lifting, I was really good at that. You could damn squat, man. And you then could squat everything else kind of came after. So now I need that. It was because I'm gonna focus on deadlift, I think. But <laughs> once the squat starts coming back, then it'll be time. Awesome. My bench is getting too good. I need to get off somewhere.
1: <laughs> my best bench in competition was four hundred. I, you know, my arms are, I'm, my arms, mm-hmm. my wingspan is six three and a half, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I pulled seven hundred, which is good. Yeah. Uh, but my squat in sleeves was six ten, and I hit six forty five in wraps. That goes to show how crappy my my wrap game is.
0: Yeah, I don't ever do it. So I oh, can not even tell you what I have. So. Good, because, I
1: mean, I, I just, I didn't get much out of it. I never got much out of it because, you know, I see these guys. They're getting, like, 14, 15 rotations around mm-hmm. their knee, and I'm getting, like, nine. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, this hurts. This is not yeah. comfortable. <laughs> so, cool, man. And you do USPA mostly? I think you told me that.
0: Last time it was USPA. I like yeah.
1: USPA a lot. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of RPS. If you're in Jersey and New York and Long Island, there's a lot of
0: RPS up there. All right to look in. I haven't looked at the meets yet. So what other what other uh, feds have you competed in? I've done uh, the USPA and I've done APF. Oh yeah I've done but APF I, too yeah I haven't competed in APF is,
1: is pretty tough man no knee sleeps. Yeah. yeah I did that too I, I, I squatted 606 uh in that in my last APF meet um yeah I know you squat more than me what do you what, what do you squat
0: uh my best ever Ross like pure play squat is 615 yeah, that's that's awesome. Man. Especially because
1: you're 198 versus yes.
0: 220. Been working a lot of box squat lately. I've done 600 off the box, a box, low parallel box. whatever that translates into in free squat,
1: that'll I help your deadlift that. too, man. I, I used to program <clears throat> box squats for people with uh, issues with the deadlift. Mm-hmm.
0: What's so. helped me is switching to sumo. That's why my oh. has been making progress. Good. I
1: suck <laughs> at sumo, man. Which my just...
0: back sucks. Oh, I yeah. sumo helps. Yeah. has to play off of the leg strength
1: oh definitely well cool man where, where can people find you if they, if they want to find you and um, what else I mean I know we got the book so archetypesups.com mm-hmm. and where can
0: people find you you find me on Instagram we're our most active at Jordan M. Joy awesome man
1: well great having you man my inaugural uh, in person podcast <laughs> hopefully we got more of these appreciate it man yeah thanks for having me my pleasure